We thank you, Lord, for our Savior, Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, he has brought many sons and daughters to you. Thank you that we are among those. We honor you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. So so we've got two Voice of the Martyrs to talk about today. Uh, and, and it's uh, good. This one is on safe houses. Uh, and you know that when people are persecuted, they cannot worship publicly. Uh, and sometimes it's just wise to keep yourself out of the vision of the authorities who want to stop the gospel. But how many of you know the gospel is never bound? gospel is always free and so wherever god raises up people and gives them a voice and a message and we all have a message we can all talk about what god has done for us amen we can all share our testimony and really that's your strongest voice that's the strongest one you'll ever have uh, throughout all of your teaching and all of your uh, revelation and so forth and so on uh, your testimony has uh, great power uh, to affect lives, repeat itself in the lives of other people, and to bring glory to God. So we just want to always keep that in mind. So don't play your testimony cheap, amen. It's, it's very, very powerful, amen. So uh, fugitives for Christ. Now there are many, many people in these nations that are on the run from the uh, their persecutors. Uh, oftentimes persecution comes from governments, uh, it comes from oftentimes other religions, uh, whether it's Muslim religion, Buddhist, Hindus, um, religious spirits tend to cause more strife and contention. Uh, they're not about peace. So I don't care what anybody says, um, every false religion is about strife and contention. Uh, you know, they've started this, George W. Bush started this fairy tale, Islam is a religion of peace. Well, there are some peaceful Muslims, but there are some real rough ones, too. And part of their doctrine has to do with uh, murder and killing people. They refer to as infidels if they don't convert. And so we see a lot of that type of threat in our uh, study of the persecuted church. So I'm just going to talk about a few places where uh, people are being persecuted, but they are being helped by uh, individuals who um, allow them safe places to go so they can study about the things of God in peace and, and uh, you know, have some time to develop relationship with God and so forth and so on. So this one is Searching for Holiness, Finding Christ, Why a Former Islamic Scholar is Now Providing a Safe Place for Ex-Muslim to Grow Up in Their Relationship with Christ. When the first rock struck his back, Walid turned and shouted, who did this? Groups of young men loitering along the street stared blankly back at him while shopkeepers avoided eye contact. Then as Walid turned and continued on his way, a barrage of stones began to rain down on him. I was so scared, he recalled, so afraid, and he ran for his life. Later, while assessing his cuts and bruises, he realized that his brothers at the mosque were no longer his brothers. He had pointed out too many contradictions in the Quran and had asked too many questions about Jesus that they couldn't answer. Who was this Jesus mentioned 187 times more than anyone else in the Quran? Becoming an Islamic scholar. 
an uncle in Walid's deeply Islamic family, selected him at a young age to become an Islamic scholar. He grew so fluent in Arabic, the language of the Quran, that he received a four-year scholarship to an Islamic university in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, where he was expected to immerse himself in Islam before returning to his home country to teach and spread the religion. After graduation, Walid became a sheikh, a respected Islamic teacher who taught at the mosque, wore white, and despite being a foreigner, shared meals with prominent members of society. I was very proud, he said, thinking I am a great person. Then in 2002, his comfortable, successful life was upended when he was diagnosed with cancer. After four surgeries, doctors told Walid that he had little hope of survival. I be, I, it became very, it came very fast, he said, and I was far from my family. With no one else to turn to, he began to seek Allah for, uh, with all his ability. Walid knew that in Islam, his worthiness to enter paradise was weighed, weighed as if on a scale. Bad deeds on one side, good deeds on the other. Would his good deeds definitely outweigh the bad? As with all Muslims, there was no certainty. Even the most religious sheikhs sinned, he reasoned, hating and insulting one another. He knew their behavior didn't conform to the Quran's strict requirements. The Quran says, if you see a lady, you have already committed adultery, he said. If you hate someone and want to kill him, you already murder. And unlike Christianity, Islam provides no offer of atonement. Got it? The law without forgiveness is, is nothing but Con condemnation. Amen. While Lee determined that he would spend the rest of his life inside the mosque praying and attempting to tame his sinful thoughts to ensure his entrance to paradise. He even sent others to buy food for him so he wouldn't be tempted in any way while running errands. Then while napping after lunch one day, he had a dream in which his younger sister laughingly mocked him saying, you think your devotion will make you holy or take you to heaven? Shaken, Walid awoke and opened his Quran at random looking for comfort. When he looked at the page, he saw that the book had opened to Surah 19, the chapter that details the life of, of Jesus. As he began to read, Walid recognized for the first time how differently the Quran spoke about Jesus than about the prophet Muhammad. He was struck by the surprising details about Jesus performing miracles and even being raised to life. The man who does not who the man who does these things is powerful, Wali said. He is he is incomparable because no other prophet written about in the Quran is doing something like that. He began to wonder why Muslims revered Muhammad, a man who had clearly died and was buried, whereas Jesus had risen from the dead is alive and will return to judge the world. Although he had never met a Christian or read the Bible, he had been taught that it was sinful to even touch a corrupted Christian Bible. He knew there were people who worshipped Jesus. Desperate for the truth, Walid delved deeper into the Quran and began questioning his fellow sheikhs. I wanted to understand, he said, but they didn't have an answer. Soon, his queries began to cause rifts in the Islamic community, and Walid feared for his safety as former friends threatened to kill him. 
They started to hate me, he said. The tension finally erupted into violence as he was unexpectedly assaulted with stones in the street. But the attack from his fellow Muslims served only to drive him closer to Christ. After the attack, he prayed in the name of Jesus for the first time. Jesus, if you are above and you see how I am, help me, he prayed. Having been rejected by his community, Walid decided to head for some place he thought for sure he could find Christians. He had heard the story of Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch and knew the country had adopted Christianity as a state religion around the turn of the 4th century, so he made hasty arrangements and got on a plane to Ethiopia. When Walid arrived in Ethiopia, he wasn't sure how to find someone who could answer his questions. He began by wandering the streets looking for a cross, assuming that was the best way to find a church. When he found a church, he walked in and said, teach me something about Christ. But no one at the churches he visited offered any help. Instead of addressing his questions, they merely invited him to attend a Sunday service. After three discouraging days of fruitless searching, Walid decided to take a break and visit a movie theater. While talking with a man sitting next to him, he mentioned that he had come to Ethiopia to find a church, but had not found anyone to answer his questions. In the middle of the movie, the man got up and led Walid to a nearby church. It didn't have a cross, but it was like a house, Walid said. Unlike his encounters at other churches, this time the pastor explained repentance to him and connected him with a believer who would meet with him for the next three months. He taught me about the sin nature and the new creation, how I need to be and how I was, Walid said. When Walid ran out of money three months later, he decided to return home, reconnect with his family after many years, and start a business. Those around him, however, quickly noticed differences in his behavior, such as his refusal to attend prayers with them. Walid's business partner eventually left him after realizing he was no longer a Muslim, and once again he was alone. Still longing for someone to discuss his faith with, he started praying about what to do next. Unexpectedly, a relative in Europe called and offered to help Walid move to a country in Africa. He eagerly took the opportunity to move and soon enrolled in a Bible correspondence course, surprising his pastor with his high grades. He was praising God, Walid said. After studying evangelism and discipleship, he joined the evangelism office at his church and focused on teaching, reaching Muslims with the gospel. His background as a sheik and in-depth study of Islam provided invaluable as he was able to gently point out to Muslims the flaws he saw in Islam. He shared his own inability to avoid sin even while living in the mosque and told them it was impossible to reach heaven without Jesus. Meanwhile, he continued to study and grow in the knowledge of the Bible. I know everything on earth shall pass away, but God's word will never pass away, he said. I am learning and I like to learn. Walid soon began to meet others who had left Islam to follow Christ, including a woman named Yasmina, whose ex-husband had abandoned and divorced her when she became a believer. 
although he had never expected to marry, Walid is grateful that Jesus gave him a wife in Yasmina. I am much better doing ministry with my wife than I am without, he said. More than a decade after doctors told him he had only a short time to live, Walid remains healthy and has undertaken a new ministry with his wife, working mostly with young adults. Many of the believers cannot tell their families they are following Jesus or even evaluating Islam's teachings, so they secretly gather for fellowship on Sunday afternoons in someone's backyard in a quiet neighborhood. They sit on cushions in the shade of a canopy, singing, praying, and discussing the Bible. For many, it is the only time they can truly be themselves and openly discuss the questions burning in their hearts. And for those who have not yet come to know Christ, it's an opportunity to hear a clear explanation of the gospel. The leaders of the group, who are also frontline workers supported by Voice of the Martyrs, invite young people to live with them so they can study the Bible and grow in faith outside the oppressive environment of their Muslim families. They have also taken in girls who were rejected or threatened by their families after becoming followers of Christ. Seeing a similar need for men in their community, the group leaders proposed that Walid and Yasmina opened their home to young men seeking to follow Christ. They accepted trading their roles as well-known evangelists and apologists for the role of caretaker for several young men. Every morning begins with devotions, and every evening ends with group prayer. The young men go to school or work during the day, but they come home to a sort of family where they can openly discuss the Bible and receive discipleship training from Walid. When I came to Christ, I lost my position, my health, my job, my community, my family, he said. But God gave me double now. I am so blessed. Although Walid's focus has shifted to working with young Christian converts, he hasn't stopped sharing the gospel with other Muslims. I believe I have a responsibility, he said. I remember the reason I am saved is to be his witness. I live for his glory, to witness his glory to unreached people. He recognizes, though, that his work is not without risk. He and Yasmina often receive threatening messages and are sometimes followed. Muslims see you like the enemy, he said. They want to kill you and, and believe if they kill you, they are serving their God. More than once, they have had to move to a new house after becoming too well-known in the neighborhood. Of course, we have problems, but we thank God. We have not been beaten, just hit, and some words said to us or something like that. Even today, after many years in ministry, their existence remains tenuous. A Muslim family member has been threatening the couple recently. But despite ongoing obstacles and trials, Walid has not lost his sight of the primary purpose. You know, life is very short, he said. The only thing we have to do is to share God's power with your, our people who are dying without Christ. We cannot see them and keep silent. Amen. So they offer safe places for Christian converts who are being threatened uh, by Islamists. So... Um, there's um, in China, there's a story about forced recruitment of children. Uh, for some reason, there's a great deal of uh, kidnapping, persecution, and, and pressure against children in some of these countries. And so there are many, many people who are committed to helping them. Uh, let me see. This, this one is about family persecution. I think I'll share this one. Okay. 
When Ramzi left Islam about eight years ago, the persecution he faced in his Middle Eastern country started out small. Muslims would call him names, including infidel, and he received frequent threats. Then, as the former sheikh began boldly sharing the gospel and leading Muslims to Christ, he was occasionally attacked and beaten, which he expected as a follower of Jesus. What he didn't expect was seeing his 15-year-old son, Sammy, lying unconscious in an intensive care unit after being violently attacked simply because his father refused to deny Christ. Before we really knew what condition he was in, we knew that the Lord was with us, and we didn't feel anger, Ramsey said. Of course, there was crying, but there was not anger. I felt like the Lord took my anger and my nerves. I had been praying at the hospital, Lord, I am giving you my son, and whatever happens to him with the doctors, it is up to you. As Sammy walked through his village the morning of Saturday, March 19, 2016, a man on a motorbike struck him from behind, leaving him from dead on the side of the road. Neighbors who saw the incidents rushed Sammy to the hospital where he remained unconscious for three days. After regaining consciousness, he underwent several surgeries to repair his arm, which was broken in three places. He also suffered multiple cuts and bruises and loss of hearing in his left ear. Ramsey knew the attack was in response to his own refusal to renounce his faith when confronted by 60 village elders and sheiks and others encouraging him to report the incident to authorities and sue the attacker in court. But instead, he made a phone call. The day the guy ran over my son with a motorcycle and put him in the hospital, I called him up. I knew the man and said, I am forgiving you, Ramsey said. He was very surprised. He remained silent and didn't say anything. I am confident that if someday I get to see him again, that he will come to faith in Christ. But Ramsey's wife, Palma, had a harder time putting it behind her. It was really difficult, she said. Here is my son in the hospital. He is broken, and I am his mother. But because of our faith, we had to forgive the attacker. A police officer eventually came to the hospital to investigate the attack on Sammy, but Ramsey didn't want to press charges. He wanted only for his son to be healed and his God to be glorified. As serious as the attack on Sammy was, it wasn't the only persecution the family endured. One night, a mob surrounded their home, throwing rocks, smashing windows. Even as rocks were hitting the house, Ramsey climbed up on the roof to pray to God for protection and for those who were throwing the stones. I wanted to see my attackers' faces, he said. Sometime later, the mob returned to attack both Ramsey's house and that of his brother, Islamists sprayed the houses with bullets before lighting them on fire. Thankfully, no one was injured in the second attack. In 2017, Voice of the Martyr helped Ramsey's family relocate to a new city where Sammy continues to recover from his injuries. Voice of the Martyr helps the family pay rent and other living expenses as well as ongoing medical costs. You guys are an example of this kind of love, Ramsey said, about Voice of the Martyr and its supporters. You are in America and we are here, but you are 
but you but yet you are hurting with us ramsey continues to grow as a leader and to encourage from afar the groups of believers he used to lead he and his family are thankful that they are able to continue their ministry and experience the blessings of a new community of believers as it became much more difficult for us to endure persecution the grace of god increased with it ramsey said but then there came a point where we could not continue when we couldn't walk anymore we came out and the lord gave us a family a family of faith the persecution was nothing compared to how the lord jesus christ suffered on our behalf ramsey and his family have experienced great pain and have lost much but they know god is with them and that he will help them face persecution again if it returns the grace of god is so great in our lives he said it is without boundaries everything that happened truly was hard but we are not upset we're happy because god has chosen us so we have given our lives completely to him before we were living a life of darkness and a life of ignorance after we came to faith in christ we experienced joy like we have never experienced before we see something new every day amen praise god amen amen you know god knows how to rescue people out of these difficult situations and it's not that you know he's looking for quote unquote martyrs uh, but he knows what what we can tolerate and uh and when we reached our limit then he will get us out of these situations when we got in there thank you jesus i don't know what that is on my tongue but i want rid of it a little rascal thing <laughs> um this one okay uh this one is from the nation of minamar it's a, a buddhist you know a lot of these places are muslim places this looks like it, there's a lot of buddhist um Uh, buddhists there so uh, after zealously persecuting christians for decades a minamar army officer made a a mistake that led to severe military discipline and a life-changing encounter with six imprisoned pastors so this one is says uh, king mon oh ken mong wanted to be a part of something bigger than himself after completing high school he joined the minamar army and quickly rose uh, through the ranks eventually reaching the level of of lieutenant colonel as an officer commanding his own battalion he developed a reputation for brutality toward his soldiers re, uh, reserving his harshest re- treatment for christians ken had learned to hate followers of jesus at a young age he was raised in a rigidly buddhist burmese family two of his uncles were influential buddhist monks at age 11 he spent nine months as a novice wearing the traditional maroon robe and living among adult monks at a local monastery he was taught that jesus was a disciple of the buddha and that he was crucified for disobeying instructions for forbidding him from preaching in addition he was taught that when jesus died he became an evil spirit from that moment i thought christians were crazy he said i decided that i didn't want to have anything to do with them ken took every opportunity to publicly mock and embarrass the christians in his battalion if they prayed he interrupted them if they read their bible he beat them when they ate he knocked their meals off the table and made them clean up the mess 
I kicked them with my military boots and whipped them with a rope, he said. I kicked one soldier's teeth in. As cruelly as he treated his own soldiers, Ken treated civilian Christians worse, especially the ethnically Burmese who had left Buddhism for Christ. Whenever people converted to Christianity from Buddhism, myself and two friends in the military would go and whip them and persecute them, he said. I thought their God was only a God of the Chin people and that he died a very terrible, dishonorable, and pointless death. I thought he was a foreign God. The Chin ethnic people in Myanmar is predominantly Christian thanks to missionaries who worked among them in the late 1800s. As Christianity spread among the Chin, they began to face increasing persecution from other ethnic groups as well as Myanmar's military. In In his hatred of Christians, Ken often forced pastors to get drunk in order to ruin their reputation, and once he oversaw the demolition of a church. We asked the fire department, an officer of the village, and some members of the military from our unit to help, he said. We destroyed everything together. Hearing that Christians believed Jesus was still alive, Ken even devised a plan to persecute him if he ever met Jesus in person. I told Jesus, you need to be on guard, he recalled. If I ever see you, I will shoot you. But Ken was soon to face extreme discipline himself, exposing the fragile loyalty among soldiers. After a night of heavy drinking in 2003, he awoke after midnight and found that his gun was missing. He knew he was in trouble. There's a common saying in the Myanmar army that the value of a soldier's gun is equal to 10 lives. Ken dutifully reported the missing weapon to his superior, who immediately accused him of selling the gun to a rebel army. Three officers tied Ken's wrists together and stood him on a chair before hanging him from the ceiling by his wrists and kicking the chair out from under him. They then began to beat him for hours with metal rods. The beatings continued on and off for three days, during which time Kim was provided no food or water. By the third day, his body was so swollen and bloody that he could no longer feel pain. I wanted to die, he said. Then around 1 a.m. on the third day, after his torturers left, Ken had a vision. I could see Jesus, he said. He was on a cross in front of me. There was also a lot of blood coming from many parts of his body, just like mine. I thought, this can't be true. I looked to my left and then looked to my right, but I always saw this vision of Jesus on the cross no matter where I looked. At that time, I had goosebumps and I started to shake all over my body. After about 10 minutes, the vision faded and a commanding officer from his division entered the room along with those who had been beating him. Let him down, the officer demanded. We are all soldiers. He has been serving in the military for 30 years. Why are you treating him like this? The commanding officer then arranged for Ken to be taken to a hospital for treatment. After being released from the hospital, Ken was sentenced by a military tribunal to two years in prison for allegedly selling his weapon. He was one of 40 prisoners in his cell, which he remembers as dark, dirty, and crawling with bugs. And his only comfort was a blanket to cover himself with as he slept in the cold heart, on the cold hard floor. 
Among those crammed into Ken's cell were six Christian pastors. He challenged them when they shared the gospel with him, but they always responded to attacks with, with to his attacks with patience and love. They answered his questions about Jesus and pointed him to passages of scripture refuting what he had been taught as a child. On June 9, 2003, Ken made a promise to the men. I told them if Jesus is a true savior, if he can save me from my suffering, then I will serve him until I die, he said. The pastor surrounded and prayed for Ken, and one of the men continued to spend two hours a day teaching him from the Bible. During their three months together, they developed a strong friendship that made Ken feel comfortable asking deeper questions. Then one evening at about 9 p.m., Ken's friend died in his sleep. Shortly after his friend's death, the case against the remaining five pastors was resolved and they were released from prison. For two months, Ken felt completely alone. Then on December 11, 2003, prison officials led him to a small courtroom outside the prison where he was surprised to see an old friend, the owner of a liquor store he had frequented. The store owner had come forward and confessed to taking Ken's gun. He told Ken that he had borrowed the gun to go hunting, intending to return it later, but when he returned, he saw officers beating Ken and was too afraid to admit he had taken it. The judge ordered Ken's release, bringing an end to his six-month imprisonment. Hallelujah, Ken cried out, giving his life to Christ in that moment. Shot by the, his choice of words, everyone in the room glared at him. Are you crazy, one soldier asked. Are you mad? I'm not mad, Ken said. I asked Jesus to do something, to release me, and he really did it. The judge told Ken that he was cleared of charges and that he would receive a promotion and be moved to a new battalion, but Ken declined the promotion. I made a promise to Jesus, he replied. I don't want to do this anymore, even if you promote me. Military authorities gave him a month to think about his decision, but Ken was resolute. The, the moment they released me, I did not think about it anymore, he said. I went right away to the church. When Ken met with the church's pastors, they offered him clothes and food, but he was quick to correct their misperception. I did not come here to get support from you, he explained. I just want to hear more about the Jesus that I was told about in the jail. Excited by Ken's zeal for Christ, the pastors decided to help him attend a Bible school for two years. Ken entered the Bible school essentially alone. His wife had left him while he was in prison, and all but one of their six grown children had stopped talking to him because they were ashamed to have him as a father. Still, Ken cherished the opportunity to study scripture. And as he studied, he began to learn more about the persecution of Christians throughout history. The important thing is they remain faithful, he said of the persecuted. After graduating from Bible school, Ken hiked up a small mountain nearby and camped for three days, submitting fully to Jesus Christ and praying for guidance. I wanted to confess and ask forgiveness for the very bad things I had done to many Christians, he said. I also wanted to dedicate all my life to the Lord. I promised to God on that mountain that no matter what happens, even if I need to die, I will do what the Lord wants me to do. While praying on the mountaintop, Ken made the transition from Minamar Army officer to soldier for Christ.
I risk risk my life shooting guns and killing other people. But this war is not important, he said. The more important war I am fighting now is against the devil. It is the war I will fight even though I suffer the rest of my life. When Ken started teaching others about Jesus in early 2006, persecution quickly followed. He regularly endured everything from beatings to false legal charges, such as undermining the Buddhist religion, destroying Buddhist shrine. And after experiencing persecution himself, Ken felt compelled to make amends with those he had persecuted. In 2008, he visited a village where he had persecuted about 20 Christians. I apologized to the people, and they cried, hugged me and welcomed me, he said. It felt so good. They gave me a new name, Paul. I was very happy to get that name. They still call me that name today. Ken began began sharing the gospel with other Burmese with another Burmese village in 2017, but his efforts were quickly met with violence after the village's head monk told villagers to stop him. One man threw a rock, hitting him in the back, while another threw a piece of wood at him. Then three women released their dogs on Ken, urging them to attack. While running from the dogs, he tripped and hit his mouth on a pile of bricks, knocking out four upper teeth. One of the dogs then bit right into his calf muscle. The next day, as Ken lay in bed, recovering from his painful wounds, a village elder visited him to apologize for the attack and promised that he would report those responsible to authorities. But Ken told the elder that he wouldn't be pressing charges. He had forgiven everyone. Jesus forgave me for my sins so I can forgive them, he told the elder. Jesus taught us to love others. When the elder shared Ken's message of forgiveness with those who had attacked him, several visited Ken at his home. He gladly shared the gospel with them, and a week later, four of them accepted Christ. With Voice of the Martyrs' help, Ken got a series of rabies vaccines as well as four dental implants to replace his lost teeth. It was difficult. It was very difficult to share the gospel without my teeth, he said. I couldn't speak clearly. After fixing the teeth, I could speak and share the gospel very well. Though Ken has suffered estrangement from family members, physical suffering since coming to know Christ, he understands that the persecution has served a greater purpose. God has blessed me with 73 Burmese people who are no longer lost. And there are also two monks who have converted, he said joyfully. Ten months ago, Ken moved into a new village to share the gospel with the 380 families living there. Eleven people came to faith in Christ before the village's head monk kicked him out of the village. Although Ken is now homeless, he said he still plans to visit the village and continue sharing the gospel. As Ken searches for new housing with Voice of the Martyrs' help, he asks believers in the United States to pray for the Burmese people. I will continue to serve Jesus, he said. I know in the future that I will also face many difficulties and suffering, but I commit my life to Jesus as I have promised him. Please pray that the Burmese people will come to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, I'll share one more. This one is about, let's see what country this one is in. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Paulus had no idea that the words of the man he was beating would be prophetic. As a devout Muslim working in law enforcement, he made it a point to preach Islam among Pakistan's minority Christian community. 
even beating many Christians in an effort to coerce them to become Muslim. Then one day, Paulus met a pastor in a park. He discussed Islam with the man and tried to persuade him to accept what he considered the only true religion. But as a committed follower of Christ, the pastor told Paulus he could not become a Muslim. So, sticking to standard practice, Paulus violently attacked him. Between painful blows to the head, the pastor made eye contact with Paulus and said, I am beaten for Jesus Christ, and one day you will also be beaten for him. Although the man's words left an impression, Paulus would not understand what they meant until years later. Reading was a great passion for Paulus, and one day, while browsing through his local bookstore, he curiously picked up and purchased a copy of an old book. Later, as he began to read the book, he realized he was holding a Bible. Repulsed, he tossed it aside, intending to take it back to the store. But Paulus couldn't shake the sense of peace that had overcome him while reading the Bible. So, four days later, he picked it up again. Each time he picked it up and began to read, however, the false idea he's always heard about Christianity resurfaced, and he would resolve to get rid of the book. After repeating this cycle for several months, he, the, his resistance crumbled, and he decided to find out more about the Jesus of the Bible. When he heard two Christian men talking on the bus one day, he saw his opportunity. After asking the men to tell him about Jesus, Paulus was led to their pastor who advised him to go to a quiet room by himself and ask the God of Islam to reveal himself. Then the pastor suggested he should ask the God of the Bible to reveal himself. Paulus decided to follow the pastor's somewhat unorthodox instructions, so he called out to the God of Islam and not unexpectedly was met with silence. When he addressed God, however, to his great astonishment, he had a vision of a man in white saying, Son, follow me and stop persecuting my people. Paulus immediately returned to the pastor and told him he had placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He was baptized in 2001, abandoning the Muslim name he had received at birth in favor of the name Paulus. And like his namesake, the Apostle Paul, he would experience many beatings and hardships because of his faith in Christ. Still, whatever happens to me, he says, I will always follow Jesus, my Savior. The words of the pastor he had beaten many years earlier soon were realized. When Paulus's family heard the news of his conversion, they were extremely unhappy. His father even beat him when he discovered him praying. Father, the one I am calling, he is your father also, Paulus told him. But his father, along with some other religious leaders, locked him in a room and continued to beat him periodically. Then after several months, one of Paulus's cousins helped him escape. When a large earthquake hit the area in 2005, destroying the building where Paulus had been held, his family assumed he was dead. As Paulus fled the area and his family's hostility, he had a car accident that required hospitalization. While in the hospital, he met a Christian woman named Miriam, who would later become his wife. Although Paulus had been married before, his Muslim wife had left him when he became a Christian.
He has stayed in touch with his son from the first marriage, however, quietly sharing the gospel with him. Eventually, his son came to faith in Christ and told Paulus he wanted to come to live with him. But when the boy's relatives found out, they poisoned him to death rather than let him live with an infidel. The persecution from his family didn't end with the murder of his son. After they learned where Paulus and his new wife were living, they often came to beat him. On one occasion, a family member struck him so hard that he dropped his three-month-old daughter, Sarah, permanently damaging her left eye. Despite everything, he remained firm in faith. After accepting Jesus Christ, he never looked back, Miriam said. He always preached the word and served the Lord. Churches throughout Pakistan frequently asked Paulus to share his testimony of conversion from Christian-hating Muslim to a Christ-loving follower of Jesus, and he gladly and fearlessly shared what God had done for him. In 2016, members of Paulus' family beat him again, causing injuries that eventually led to his death. While beating about being treated in the hospital for wounds suffered in the beating, he developed an infection that turned septic. The hospital, however, attributed his death to a heart attack, presumably evading responsibility for the septic infection. Miriam and her daughter have struggled since Paulus's death. In January 2019, two Voice of the Martyr supported pastors asked uh, Voice of the Martyr to help her, and this year we helped provide living expenses, school fees, and medical treatment for Sarah's eye. Although doctors could not restore vision in the eye, a glass eye has given her a huge boost of confidence. In addition, Voice of the Martyrs recently provide Miriam with a rickshaw that will allow her to run a small taxi business. After my husband's death, I continue to serve the Lord, she said. Although I have many difficulties, I love to serve him. She said she feels called to continue Paulus's work by sharing his testimony and sharing God's word with women's groups. Amen? Amen. Very sad circumstances for uh, some of these people, but they continue to serve God. Amen? Uh, that's what's important. Amen? That they stay faithful to God. Amen. Sometimes we just look at sufferings as, you know, as natural people, but uh, it's also good to understand that God is faithful to his word. Amen. To people, he won't leave them without comfort. He won't leave them without the things that they need. So, you know, God is, is faithful. Praise God. But amen. Amen. But we do want to pray for people to relieve the persecution. Uh, relieve the hardship and relieve the suffering because they're, they're, uh, they need our prayers. Amen. God can use our prayers to help them. So we're going to pray for there's some situations here. I'll just mention them to you. In China, uh, one of the pastors has been sentenced to nine years in prison. In, prison. in Algeria, uh, some authorities have moved to shut down some long-established churches in Laos, a woman who has um, been abused by her husband, the husband is demanding uh, that uh, they, he be given their children. In Nigeria, two children were beaten and left for dead, uh, but they have survived. In Pakistan, a Christian man lost his job after converting to Islam, and so we need to pray for him to find uh, employment. In Vietnam, uh, uh, more persecution of churches in that nation. In Iraq, um, 
Christian converts there are finding new hope in Christ. In Kenya, uh, a bus attack left 10 people dead. In uh, Nepal, uh, some widows uh, who are roommates now have given their lives to Christ. India, uh, prisoners have been freed. Uh, that's encouraging five of them. There were five of them left in prison. They had been uh, re- uh, uh, set free. In Eritrea, more Christians are being arrested. In Burkina Faso, 14 uh, Christians were killed in an attack on a church. Pakistan, uh, um, uh, Christian laborers are being beaten. In Uganda, um, young children are being abducted. Uh, by the police force there. Uh, Muslims are responsible for it. Uh, other way, other places in the Middle East, um, believers are crying out for Christian fellowship so they won't feel so alone. Uh, in the Central African Republic, um, they are looking to establish a local church, group of new believers. In India, new believers are persecuted. Um, uh, they believe they're being paid to uh, cause people to convert. This is by Hindus. In Iran, um, Christian work is being hindered by their increased gas prices there. Uh, in Vietnam, the villagers confiscate a Christian woman's land, so we're going to ask God to give it back to her. In Turkey, officials threaten legal action against a church. We thank God for being their lawyer. Amen. Getting them free. In Ethiopia, <clears throat> They are rebuilding churches there, thank God. Uh, in Algeria, uh, they're closing churches there. In Iran, um, uh, let me see. It says, in October 69, American missionaries Mark and Gladys Bliss and their children were traveling to visit believers in northern Iran when their car collided with another visitor, a vehicle. All three children all three of their children were killed along with the baby son of um, this other couple who were traveling with them. So that's kind of historical perspective on uh, the gospel in Iran. Uh, in China, um, the Chinese government is cracking down on Christians, imposing new rules on them. Uh, Burkina Faso, an evangelist, is attacked by, is attacked by armed gunmen. Uh, Nepal, a widow, refuses to worship the snake god. And in Cuba, an evangelist is um, arrested for public preaching, and they uh, claim he is mentally ill. So there are many situations that need our prayer, many people that are waiting uh, for God to send relief for them. And so we just believe that God hears and answers prayer, and he is going to answer in all of these situations that we're bringing before him today. Amen. So you guys pray in the spirit, and I'll pray the English, and we'll uh, confess our uh, protection against persecution. Father, we thank you. We bless you, and we praise you. Thank you, Lord. Forgive our sins. Cleanse us. We plead the blood of Jesus on behalf of these people that we are, are praying for. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your protection. Thank you, Lord, for everything that they need is provided for. Thank you, Lord, to reach into the deepest, darkest recesses of human situations and bring relief and alleviate suffering. And we thank, thank you, Father. We confess that we submit to God, resist the devil. Devil, you must flee. We command you, Satan, to flee from us seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God, and we resist retaliation against our accusers. We're serving you. So why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. 
Behold, they're threatening and stretch forth your hand to heal, O God, and do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. We declare that the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let them fall by their own counsels. Lord, judge your people. Judge us, O God, according to our integrity that is in us. And let the mischief of those who persecute us return upon their own heads. Keep us as the apple of the eye and hide us under the shadow of your wings. Thank you for teaching our heads to war so that the bow of steel is broken in our arms. And thank you that you have given us the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their threats against us. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against us without a cause and who hate us. It is time for you to work, Lord, for they have made void your law. Lord, we know it is nothing with you to help. Help us, O Lord our God, O save us according to your mercy. Let our hands prosper and prevail against our enemies. But the Lord is with us as a mighty, terrible one. And therefore, our persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. They will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. And we thank you, Father, that we will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. And we thank you that those who live godly will suffer persecution. But, Lord, you are able to deliver us from all of our destructions. In Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen again. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Father, we do thank you for hearing those prayers. Thank you, Lord, for allowing your people to have relief from persecution. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that the oppressed will go free. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to save people in these situations. Every situation that we mention, Lord, you have an answer for it. So we thank you for many, many answers in many of these situations. And we honor you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So if you'll put some music on, Ms. Juan, if somebody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you before we 